This morning, I am prepared to speak to you on the subject, distracting divisions, distracting divisions, the distractions that have come in our lives, our nation, our world, things that seemingly have got us off course, not seemingly have got us off course as to what God has planned for our lives. We're seeing people from every background. It does not matter their bank account, their education, the color of their skin, their geographics. There is across the entire earth today, turmoil, as the Bible says would happen, as nation would rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And that there would be those that would be disobedient to parents. There would be churches that have left their first love. And the list goes on and on and on. But this morning, I want you to pay very, very close attention to the message as I try to share with you some things that I hope will help you. They have helped me in getting them ready. But I want to, again, uh, do something a little different I hope you got a bulletin when you came in. Every time you come to Sagemont, be sure when you come in the door, our our usher, instead of handing you a bulletin, want to shake your hand, but that's what it looks like. And uh, they are free, uh, so they don't cost you anything. But I want you to pick them up when you come in. And in my comments this morning, I asked you to read John 17, 9 to 26. We're having done what I do for as long as I've done it, where I've done it, I know that some of you still don't know what I'm talking about, and I'm not going to let you go home till you hear this scripture, because it is so relevant. As I read to you from the book of John, chapter 17, let me set this up. Just as, as, as the first verse says, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he's praying. He first prays that the hour would come that he would glorify the Father through his life. But I want to move down to verse 12 because this is for us. These are God's word through Jesus, through an inerrant Bible to God's people that make up the family of God. Listen to verse 12. These beautiful words from Jesus. I'll read from the King James translation, but listen carefully. John 17, 12, while I was with them in the world, he's talking to the Father now, I kept them in thy name, those that you gave me. I have kept them, and none of them is lost. But the son of perdition, that's Satan, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them, and he's talking about us, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, talking about us again, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. 
Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gave to me, I've given it to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they might be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as you loved me. Listen to that, folks. God's son, Jesus, is saying about us, Father, I came to do what you wanted me to do. I set it all out there. I said to any person in any part of the globe, in any generation, I want you in my family. I created the heavens and the earth. I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for you because you were born due to the to original sin, a sinner, and no one had to teach you how to sin. But I have sent my son. Jesus said, I came and gave my life. I shared, I shared the truth with the people that would listen. I invited whosoever will to come while I was on earth. Some came, not the majority, nor will they ever be the majority, but some came. And Father, they accepted your gift, me, my death on the cross on Friday and my resurrection on Sunday. They have accepted that and they have begun to form together to be my bride, the church. And from every background they have come to do the thing that I have left them there to do, and that is to make sure that every person on the planet has an opportunity to see and hear of the evidence and power and purpose of God. So now, thousands of years later, we come to this moment this morning when we see things changing so rapidly. We hear Jesus say, I want them to be one. Now listen to what Paul wrote to another little, a little church in Philippi years ago, second chapter of Philippians, verse 14. Here's what Paul, the man that was so smart, so powerful, so effective, going out to murder Christians. He was stopped and blinded by God and God took that one that was an executioner or was intending to be the executioner and saved him, changed his life and used him to literally through his writings and life change much of the world. Now here's what he wrote to the church in Philippi. Paul, do all things without murmurings and disputing that you may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and a perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither have I labored in vain. Paul was becoming discouraged. He was becoming discouraged because he was seeing the church decide for whatever reason they would cease to be the church. They had decided that they would no longer come out among them and be separate, but they made a decision. We're going to go out into the world and become like the world and expect to change the world. And it did not happen then, nor will it happen now. God has always called out people, and I'll show you the kind of people in just a minute, that he 
would be allowed to use because they allowed him to use them. And he calls them out in order to do the work he wants done before he comes back to this earth again. I want to read to you from Galatians chapter five, verse 13. For brethren, that's us, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, you've been called into liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. Question number one for you this morning, what's God's agenda for America? From where you sit, what is God up to? What is his agenda? Where do we fit in? If we know our history and a lot of young folks have not been exposed to the extensive teaching of the history of this country, but this country formed in order that it could come to a place and start over again and have liberty and justice for all and would put together a set of laws that would protect those that were trying to do right and would penalize those that chose to attack that right. And in the midst of all of this, the clock has ticked. And now we're seeing things happen like never before. Now, question number one is, what's God's agenda for America? I'll not spend a whole lot of time on that. My time now is going to change is question number two. What's God's agenda for the church? That's what God's kids ought to be excited about and concerned about. Why in the world do we need a church, have a church, and what in the world is it here for? Is, this, is a church a social gathering where people come together of, 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 they have something in common, and they get together and they meet new friends and they have good times together and so forth. What is the church for? Why doesn't God just simply take the save and we all go to heaven and forget about this mess? There's got to be a purpose. There's got to be a purpose. And I'd hope that you would agree with me when I say that it is hard, if not impossible, to get people together today in doing right. Right being the righteousness of God. Getting people that would be able to identify that which divides and that which brings together and unites. You would think today that there would be more good things happening that through all of these years we, would, we had a, learned a whole lot. But this morning I come to you not so concerned about the agenda of the country as I am the agenda of the church. I come to you this morning because I and my peer group, and I would not be an exception to this, but it just fascinates me uh, uh, but it brings me great concern as when traumatic things happen like have happened in the last two weeks and now are happening this morning. All of a sudden, people that are church members, but they never come, they never give, but they're all upset because the church isn't doing what it ought to do to straighten out the mess in 24 hours. Let's all come together and just talk to God. The Bible says you to be doers of the word, not hearers only. 
And God looks at us this morning and says, now listen, I want you to put me first. I want you, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. The Bible tells us upon the first day of the week, let everybody lay aside as God has prospered you and talking about our giving. God has said to us to pray without ceasing. People come together. Well, I just don't understand why we don't get a, a, get a call down the church so we can all come and pray. Let me tell you what we do on Sundays. This is the altar. Every Sunday we're called to pray. Not just when we're having disasters, but how many respond? When you have a prayer meeting, how many come? No, we have to have something and then we want to fix it. We're just a first aid, you know, stop by and just take a baby aspirin, get your blood transfusion and go out there and get them. That's not the church. The church is solid. The church is a group of diversified people that God has saved and called out and we all come together and we all come together. Good things began to happen. All of us today can look around and, and see when, when the Proverbs were written and Solomon wrote Proverbs 6, 16, he says, here's six things the Lord hates. See how we're doing today. God says, I hate these six things. And then he says seven are abomination to him. So there are actually seven of them. Number one, a proud look. Number two, a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that advises wicked imaginations or has wicked plans. Number five, feet that are swift and running to mischief. Number six, a false witness who speaks lies. And finally, one that sows discord among brothers. Now, those are seven things that the Lord hates. Right now, we're sort of doing all seven. The love is not the permeating word, but it's bitterness and hate and rioting and, and all kinds of things that are just pouring out. Let me get out. I'm getting a little heavy with you. Let me back off just a little bit. It's been a long time since I took a vacation in a car with kids. I was an only kid. It's summertime. We're going to go on vacation. Where are we going to go? We're going to go to Carlsbad Cavern, Grand Canyon. That's where we went, that kind of place. And uh, we're going to go on vacation. We're going to get away from it all. And we get in the car and we head to paradise. Now, paradise on a vacation is where your in-laws live that will let you stay free. That's where you all will, don't ever plan a vacation too far from where you got in-laws that'll put you up for free. You know, you just save right off the bat. But anyway, we, we would take off and I was an only child and my mother did all the driving in our family. My dad had this, held the steering wheel, but my mother did the driving. <laughs> Are you getting the picture? And I, as an only child, saw my mother and father in relationships that I didn't know they had. <laughs> Remember one year we took another family with us and there was three kids and there was a, the other family had a brother and sister. I didn't have any brothers and sisters. I just spoiled Brad. But I learned things about brothers and sisters. You know, thinking about my vacation and, the, and the, uh, the yellow line out there, you know, I would hear one of them say, hey, <laughs> hey, dad, hey, mom, dad just crossed the yellow line. <laughs> and then hear the sister say to her brother or to, or to her daddy, my brother's breathing on me. I think, boy, 
I don't know if I want any brothers and sisters or not. This unity of family stuff sort of breaks off real quick, you know, just on a simple vacation. But we're sort of born to disagree, you know. How many of you like to live with people that are just like you? Now think about that. Now you notice this, that people that, that, that you'd like to not have to live with seem to live forever. You know, you'd really like to just let, tell everybody at their funeral you love them and go on with your life. But they just seem for, they just never die. They're just always around. Because quite frankly, although we look in a mirror and say, I just love you, you are Miss Wonderful or Mr. Wonderful. But when I see somebody just like, oh, you know, if you like to talk, you just hate people that like to talk. You know, you just, you just, you want to do that, you know, well, okay, I'm meddling now. But anyway, here's a problem. Division is a problem. Division in the diversity of the church. Very quickly, think about who started the church. Do you ever think about the, who Jesus picked? By the way, Jesus picked these people. Let me just show you some. Peter, remember Simon Peter? Type A. Simon Peter was type A. If they had committees in the church, you would not want to be on the one that Simon Peter was on. I mean, this guy, he could cause division anywhere he went. He could cause division among the kids, the teenagers, the young adults, the medium adults, or the adults. I mean, he was that type A, Simon Peter. Then you had John, the soft and kind one. Then you had Andrew. He was real, real quiet, but you know what? He knew a lot of people that were pretty important. There's that kind of people around. You know, there's the shy ones, there's the quiet ones, and then there's those like Andrew. He went and got Simon Peter type A, his brother, and brought him to the Lord. And then you had Matthew, the tax collector. Now remember, Jesus is picking all these people. What did they have in common? Then you, then you had Simon the zealot. Boy, what a character he was, you know? And then, of course, you had Thomas, Mr. Negative. Everything that would come up, Thomas would be against it, and Thomas would have a negative thought. He just lived for the very few times in his life when he could say, I told you so. Because most of what he told you so didn't come to pass. But this is a diversified group but that's the way God wants the church to be. Red, yellow, black, and white, they're all precious in God's sight. God wants the haves, the have-nots. He wants those that were born here and those that moved here. He wants people from every age bracket, every background, every language, every kingdom. The, he says, I want my church to be one. I want you to leave your diversity. You are beautifully and wonderfully made because I made you, is what God says. I made you who you are. I gave you your mother and dad. I chose this for you, but I want you to come together and look when you get together, how beautiful it can be. It can be. The next time you're around something really, really pretty, a butterfly, something's got a lot of colors that God made. Look how perfect the colors are and how they're especially made just for, and that wing you know, of that butterfly or that flower, that color, that shape, perfect, perfect, perfect. When it all comes together, when you see the florists come together and begin to put the different flowers to complement each other. See, this is the way God wants things. He wants the church to be a body of Christ. He wants our hands to be hands, our feet to be feet. He wants everything, our eyes, our ears, our nose, all of this were fearfully and wonderfully made but the distraction comes when we begin to look at something that's a little bit different. 
They act a little different. They think a little different. And then we don't like that kind of personality. And the first thing you know, bad things happen. But here's my point. It's very obvious, very obvious that the early followers of Jesus put down their differences and got together and they survived. And Judas, is, Judas one of the disciples, he made his self-call. He left, he went out, got his money, betrayal money, bribe money, his 30 pieces of silver. A few days later, he went out and took his own life. See, God gives us a choice. And God gives every person here and every person watching or listening an opportunity to bring what you have. If you're a little boy with loaves and fishes, and you're in a crowd of 5,000 people that didn't bring their lunch, God can take little and do much with it. The great thing about the church and any great church, if it's a great church, is a diversified church. It is not all, it's not a, there's a difference between a church and a country club. There's difference between a church and a community. Our community is the world. And so we bring all of this together into what God says is going to be my bride, the church, and everybody brings, and, and every born-again believer has a spiritual gift. That spiritual gift you will use in order that God will be glorified. That's what the church is about. I cannot get over, when I was preparing this message, I went through this list so many times, and I think, Jesus must have had a sense of humor. I mean, to pick these guys... Of all the pick, you know, the people, we've been having all this politics, picking my vice president, picking all this kind of stuff. Think, oh, well, look at Jesus. Jesus could not find a person that probably I'd agreed with. I'd have probably said, I don't like that one. I don't like that one. I don't like it. I don't know what he's going to do. You know, here's a hothead, you know. Here's Mr. Negative. All that guy said, no, no, no. All things work together for good to those that love the Lord. Let me tell you something. When you come to church, folks, everybody's got something to bring to the table. I'm not talking about money. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I'm going to bring it. And when you bring it together, it's like a recipe. I don't know if you like biscuits or not. If you're from the South, you like biscuits. But you try any one ingredient in a biscuit by itself, and it is absolutely horrible. But when you put it all together and put it under the right temperature and cook it for the particular time, you got something really, really memorable. But God has brought us together Every nation, school, church, company, corporation, hospital, sports team, all of them are diversified. Any sports you look at, the pitchers and the catchers don't have the same talent. The running backs and the offensive linemen or defensive linemen do not have the same talent. But what brings them together that everybody enjoys is the diversification. They are a team that's what makes a church special. When we are a team, that we don't try to be a church where we're in it because of what we can get out of it, but we're in it because of what we contribute to it to make it what God wants it to be. But America is learning that right now. I watched the All-Star game the other day. Uh, as many of us do like baseball. And I, and I was 
preparing this sermon, I, and I looked out there. And of course, you got, if you don't know baseball, I won't bore you. I'll be real quick on this one, okay? But you got the American League and you got the National League. And there's one group of teams over here and they hate each other. Then you got one group of teams over here and they hate each other. But now they take the best on all the teams. They put them out there and everybody comes to the stadium. And they pan down there. And they got all the, all the emblems, all the colors. You know, you got everybody over here cheering, for, uh, uh, pulling for the uh, American League. Everybody over here is pulling for the National League. All the colors are here and all. And even people of the Rangers would clap or holler if an Astro did something and vice versa. You know why? Because right now for one night, <laughs> we're getting together and we're going to be family. Only thing is we got to beat the other side. Well, you know what? When God's people come together and know that the enemy is Satan and we're all going to go against the enemy, we come up with a strategy and a plan and everybody does what they ought to do. And when it's all done, we win. We win. But when we just fight and fuss, and by the way, if if don't, don't criticize an idea till you got a better one. Somebody told me one time, but I remember something when I was a little boy and had never forgotten, that's that all people are created by God and for God and that everybody has a right to accept Jesus or reject Jesus. You can pick either one you want. You don't have to follow the Lord, but you don't have to reject him either. You can choose this day who you're going to serve. You can make that choice today as to what you want to do. Spiritual gifts can divide us. Color can divide us. Wealth can divide us. Education can divide us. Personalities can divide us. Geography can divide us. Age can divide us. Sports, business can divide us. Even denominations can divide us. But you know what? God can make us all one if we get to the basics. I remember when I learned my ABCs. I thought I was real smart. Came home one day, told my mom I'd learn my ABCs. She said, what are you going to do tomorrow? I said, I'm going to learn our DEFs. You know, it kind of, it kind of works that way. But the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. The longer I serve him, the more optimistic I am. There's going to be a revival. There's going to be something happen. I don't know what it is, how it's going to come about. That's going to bring this nation together. One nation under God. And I am praying for that. I am yearning for that. And that our nation will not see it come from Washington, but will come from God's people who are called by God's name that have humbled themselves and prayed, sought God's face, turned from their wicked ways. They've heard from heaven and they're following the Lord Jesus Christ. Unity, as I close, is not the highest priority in our Christian experience. So let me tell you that. You know what it is? Truth and righteousness. That's the goal. You shall know the truth, the truth will make you free. Jesus said, I am the truth. We're to be righteous as he is righteous. Here's our goal. To go out of here today, every one of us believing the truth. What is that? Jesus again. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. That's number one. We're going to follow him. Number two. Not only are we going to follow him, but we are going to to understand that to follow him, we must be righteous as he is righteous. So we confess our sins 
forsake our sins. He forgives our sins. He cleanses our sins and he remembers them no more. And he says, come on, I've got a place for you. I want to remind those of you that are just now beginning to read the Bible. When you read the New Testament, the majority of it is written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was on his way to execute Christians. He would have made the news the next morning of how many Christians he had executed. But God knocked him to his, to his knees. He confessed his sin. God picked up that man and look what he did as he started churches and went on his missionary journeys and wrote so much under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of what we call the Bible. But truth and righteousness are more important than unity. There is a time we have to come out and be, be separate. But when you come out, you don't come out as individuals, you come out as one. And say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The church has been instructed by God, 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul told young Timothy that the church is to be the pillar and the foundation of truth. Not the country club. Not the social media outlet center. Not the place where we just have a good time and love one another and have more fun together than the law allows, you know. That's not what we're here for. We're here to find the truth. Know the truth. Live the truth. Our marriages will change. Our kids will change. We'll change. Church will change. And the world can change. I want you to go your way today thinking about how you put all this together. And I'll give you a hint. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men to me. I'll draw people to me. Folks, God is looking for a people who will simply follow him. I'll take the hit, he says. I already have. I have the power. I have the methodology. Love one another. Forgive one another. Cleave to one another. Teach your children obedience. All of those things. It's all there. And it's not beyond anyone that's willing to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit.